From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Well, welcome back, everyone, to The Dairy Show. I'm once again your host, Katie Schmidt. And joining me this week from Greenville, Illinois, is Michael Turley with Rolling Lawns Farm. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks, Katie. It's an honor to be with you. So when I think Southern Illinois, I'm not thinking dairy. So explain for our listeners what agriculture and in particular dairy looks like in your area. We uh, we live in a long state in the northern part of Illinois, feels a lot more like Wisconsin and the dairy industry there. And then uh, you go through some rich black soils that uh, are mostly corn and soybeans. And when you get down to our area, the soils are lighter. And there's a dairy pocket down here of about, I'm going to say about 200, 200 herds. It's the most concentrated dairy pocket in the state of Illinois now, but it's uh, a lot of small family farms. A large farm might be a thousand cows. And uh, we have a big fluid market in the St. Louis metropolitan area that uh, most of the milk goes to and some might recognize Prairie Farms, and Prairie Farms, the cooperative's headquarters are in, in this area. It's, uh, it's a little different. The climate's a little milder, but uh, the summers can get super hot. So we're down here doing the same thing everybody else is, just, uh, just in our territory. Sure. So how do you and Rolling Lawns fit into this picture of dairy? And tell us about yourself. The farm is 111 years old. We started in 1910, my great-grandfather, so I'm fourth generation. It's your classic small family farm story, uh, trying to keep it going. We had our 100-year anniversary with registered Holsteins last, last year. So we've always been a registered herd, loved, loved the cows, showing cows, and uh, had, uh, had a lot of success there. And so as, as it became my turn to figure out how to chart the path for uh, sustainability with our farm, we had to find some other some other options to continue it if we chose to continue, which I do. And we are in a good spot for that down here in southwestern Illinois, where uh, there's a lot of people and a lot of people interested in uh, in cows and uh, high quality products. Yeah. So let's talk about those registered Holsteins for a minute. When we were setting up this interview, you had mentioned how much you believe in purebred cattle. Why is that the case and why registered Holsteins for you guys? I think the purebred animal, uh, regardless of breed, is the most underutilized asset that the dairy industry has. And we all got a role to play. And uh, I, before we go any further, I, I'm a big proponent of the fact that we need it all. We need the large productive commercial operations and the small uh, family operations that we see uh, dotting the countryside. But the, in my, the simple way I put that is the big guys need the little guys and the little guys need the big guys. That's my view of the industry. Saying that, uh, we've been Holstein, you know, 100, 101 years. And so that's our brand identity. And uh, so for Rolling Lawns Farm, as we crafted a new brand identity going forward, as we left commercial commodity marketing, uh, milk to consumer marketing, we needed a brand that would travel and uh, people connect with the cows. So that's what we're building our brand on. It's just something we've been doing a long time, like a lot of your listeners. We've all been working with the cows for decades and some into their second century. We're going back to that and running a lot of plays out of a playbook that are 70, 80 years old. Sure. So that's a perfect segue, actually, Michael, into the next part, which is the on-farm processing that you do at Rolling Lawns and that change from 
marketing in a fluid market into a direct consumer market. Tell us why and when that happened and maybe what did it look like as you were getting started? The decision to go to direct consumer with uh, with a branded product was 20 years in the making, but uh, actually a lot lot more than that. And it started it started when I was in high school with my family and you you have to build the perseverance to do this. And all that perseverance comes from your family operation when you're toughing out the toughest days of weather and uh, getting chores done when you have no electricity or the milk truck can't get in or whatever your challenge is. We had that weather a couple weeks ago, most of the Midwest. And we had a 30 cow tie stall barn like a lot of, like a lot of farms do. It was a lot of work, and, uh, but you spent your time with your cows. And that was really a key building block. But it was always about the cows. We just didn't know how we, how we should market them because in the past it was always about pedigrees and genetics and showing. And what we were working on there with those cow families are more marketable today than they've ever been. So that's important. Iowa State University introduced me to Fred Foreman, Dr. Foreman, Judge Madison many times. And uh, I met him when I was 14 years old and I had a a really big yearling heifer that was undefeated. And uh, we go to Madison, first time I showed on the color shavings and she stood 23rd. We just got crushed and uh, we've all been there. And everybody can appreciate that deflation. And I was a very discouraged 14-year-old freshman in high school. And here comes Dr. Foreman coming through the barns after the show, this legend in the dairy industry, and uh, stopped and introduced himself. It was crazy. I'm sure I was dirty, tired, and I'm sure I needed a real haircut. Anyway, I had a nice five-minute conversation. I got a letter from Dr. Foreman six weeks later in November. And it was, he was telling me that it was nice to meet me. And he started his recruitment process for me. I share that with you because I learned a lot of professionalism from Dr. Foreman. He is famous for not watching the cattle when he gave reasons. He would place the class at Madison, turn, face the audience and give stellar reasons. So he taught me a lot, he introduced me to Gene Meyer at, uh, at Hordes Dairyman. That was my first job out of college. to where I learned the history of the, of the dairy industry, really. All of those things, those stages helped me appreciate the industry for what it was. And you learned about the the big show herds of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, really. There was a lot of marketing being done back then that I think is very, very appropriate today. And so in 2013, I made the decision we were going to need to change from a traditional model of, of revenue, selling milk, and then some offspring, obviously, from a genetic standpoint, to a new business model that would allow us more diversity in our revenue, consumer marketing, wholesale business, retail, tourism, et cetera. So uh, from 2013 to 2016, we worked on that and then started bottling in May of 2016. So we've been at it uh, almost five years. You also mentioned when we were getting ready for this that somehow golf plays into the startup of this processing and this direct consumer marketing. How does that fit? Uh, I'm a golf enthusiast, and uh, I had a day job before uh, I came back to the farm. I, I had an advertising agency for 20 plus years, and it uh, it, it really, I mean, we were we we were marketers, and uh, marketing is a, a very critical component to anyone in any industry. But in the dairy industry, especially right now, we need to be great marketers, no matter how we're representing our particular farm or the products that uh, we're collectively selling. And I had a client, a big equipment company. Uh, it was all agriculture stuff that I worked on, but I was a guest of theirs at the, at the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. And that's Augusta National Golf Course. And if, you're, if you've ever been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, it's the Madison of golf. It's the, 
there's not a blade of grass out of place. And there's, uh, there's an amazing feel to this tournament that happens every year in April. Uh, what it taught me, uh, I've been back twice since, and it's very hard to get a ticket to the Masters. It's a bucket list event for uh, a lot of people. But it taught me of how important the experience was and what you really needed to, to crystallize in terms of your brand. Now, the Masters isn't the largest golf tournament. It's not the toughest course. It's not the longest course. It doesn't have that one signature hole. What the Masters is known for is its reverence for the game of golf. So it set my vision in place, helped me clear that up. And I left the 2013 Masters with a clear vision for Rolling Lawns Farm, and that's to be the Augusta National Dairy Farms. Not the biggest, not the uh, not the toughest, not the hardest driving, not the anything, just the farm that has a great reverence for the Holstein cow. And so it's all about the cow, and it's their world, and we're just living in it. In 16, when you started, what were you guys producing? What was the the product that you were marketing? The big decision when you decide to go to on-farm processing, at least for us, was is it is it grade A or a manufacturing grade? Do you do cheese like so many people are doing successfully? Do you do ice cream, which people are killing it uh, out there in the countryside right now? Or uh, do, you, do, you, do you pursue grade A and bottle? We decided the latter because uh, it's the most intimate product. The moment of truth happens every time someone screws up a cap of our, of our product, no matter whose brand it is or where the customer is at. So we wanted to go grade A to give us flexibility and, and allow us to move through the whole product set of dairy and then help us with line extensions. And so we started bottling whole milk, 2% skim, and uh, did a chocolate milk. Our target primarily was wholesale food service, restaurants, bakeries, ice cream shops, and coffee shops. Uh, that's what we started building our business on in 2016, and it continues to, to be the most important segment for, uh, for us today. Why was the decision made to make that your introduction piece into the market? Why wholesale versus on a grocery store shelf or at the farm? That's a great question. And the most important reason we wanted to pursue high-end restaurants and the most popular coffee shops was the, the fact that the chef, the owners of restaurants and these chefs are driving a lot of the trends in food. They certainly are driving a lot of interest from their diners and their, their patrons. We felt like if we wanted to make the grade with the, with the best chefs and the most popular coffee shops, the most popular bakers, and, and, and again, in St. Louis, it's 3 million people, give or take, and there's a lot of great food going on right now. It's an amazing food scene. So we wanted to win their preference. We wanted to become their provenance of food, at least with the dairy segment that they were going to use in their kitchens. When they do that and they become fans, then they help us promote our brand and pull through their consumers. They're the key influencer. Yeah, that's in marketing speak. They are the key influencers. They also happen to be our best customers. It's also the most consistent product sales. We know exactly what each one of these places is going to use every week. And uh, we can build a production schedule for our milk around a stable set of customers. Uh, 2020 was interesting, but uh, we've, we've made it through and uh, it looks optimistic. That is fascinating. So you guys make white chocolate milk still, so whole and 2% and chocolate milk. What other flavors? Because I've seen some pictures of some stuff that looks pretty interesting. Yeah, and we're certainly not the first to do it, but we wanted, instead of just trying to make a what the consumer would say is the cheapest gallon of milk, we can't win that way. We cannot compete with the large 
with the large, really proficient operations on on that production. Our our cost of production is too high. So we wanted to define it as a quality product, put a premium price on it, and we needed to earn that. So the way to do that is with indulgence, with uh, products that people seek out. Flavored milk is the is a very common platform for that. Not only chocolate, but we do an orange cream, which was introduced to me by a, a, a really great producer in uh, the Central Valley of California. And uh, we do a cappuccino milk, which is coffee flavored, as you might expect, and think Starbucks Frappuccino, but it's uh, homegrown here at our place. And then strawberry, of course, is uh, always number two to chocolate. But we're working on four more that we'll launch this year. So the idea is to get to about eight flavors. And there's several places, farms in the United States doing that well and at present. And I just think dairy's got to be positioned as an indulgence product. And the dietitians will say, yeah, there's sugar in the chocolate milk, but if the kids will drink milk versus all these other options that have no nutritional value whatsoever, we're ahead of the game. And so we're centering on a total experience of indulgence and high quality products with consumers of all ages. So do we get a sneak peek of what those four new flavors are going to be? A couple of them are obvious ones. And then uh, one that I think uh, I'd love everybody to pick it up, but root beer is really popular with some of my friends that uh, produce and bottle in other parts of the country. So that's a no brainer. It's what you'd expect it to taste like. It's a root beer float. We will come out with a second coffee flavored because cappuccino has been so uh, successful. It'll be a mocha variety. The one I'm most excited about is maple milk. Maple's a trending flavor right now, and there's really a, a neat way to do that very naturally. And the taste is insane. It's so good. I would love to, uh, you know, get on the maple milk horse and ride that for a while. But uh, not many people are doing that, but we can do it. We've done it in small batches. It's uh, crazy good. So uh, those are three of the ones we're working on right now. That sounds delicious. I can't say I've gotten on the maple train yet, but I think that's worth trying because I love... I'll wait till you try this. Please, please send some our way. We will sample. You're selling to wholesalers, you're doing some fun products, and you're making fun flavors of milk. One of the other things that I noticed is that you're working with partners to actually process into an additional value-added product, so butter or ice cream. How do those partnerships work or what? how have you built those relationships to make that product happen? For us, it's the secret, uh, it's the secret strategy that's not so secret. But everybody talks about farm to table and, and we all know what that is. Farmer takes his local product to town and urban folks uh, consume it. I really set out because of our great relationships with the wholesale partners, the, the chefs, the baristas, et cetera to want to make that 360 local. Well, we call it local 360, but we'll have our, our product going into their places and then we'll be bringing, bringing product out. Ice is plain and fancy. We make a base, an ice cream base for Ice is plain and fancy, the most popular ice cream shop in, in St. Louis. They tell everybody about Rolling Lawns Farm. And then we'll bring them out here and sell the product out here once a month, for instance, do pop-ups as they, as they call them in the biz. The coffee service, uh, we will have a coffee shop on site here this year, and uh, we will be featuring Blueprint Coffee, which is one of our best customers in St. Louis. So it's think of it as fancy stuff going on in the big city. We're going to bring it out to Greenville, and it'll be just a total 360 experience. And uh, we love doing those kind of things. And then Harvest Market is a grocery store in Springfield, Illinois. It's a full-service grocer, but they do a ton of local business and a lot of, lot of local relationships with farmers. They've got a butter churn room on site right next to the dairy case in their beautiful store. 
in Springfield. And they also have one in Champaign, Illinois. That's where the University of Illinois is located. I just delivered 40 gallons of heavy cream to them yesterday, and they will turn that into butter and sell it for twice of what we can get four sticks of butter for a pound. It's a specialty product. They make it on site, and it's all about driving on authenticity home. So these partners are so valuable in telling the story of the farm and then the quality of, of the milk and then certainly of hopefully what our farm's all about. So how have you found these partners or built these relationships? I mean, you guys went from back, I mean, back to this whole idea of going from marketing milk on an open market to consumer marketing. How did you find the locations where you wanted to be or find those chefs and those baristas and those partnerships? What was the the driving force of the partners that you built? Early on, uh, a distributor helped us connect to some of them. So sometimes you have to go find them. Sometimes they find you. There's a set, every neat uh, part of the country with some great restaurants wants to do local if they can. So you just, you drop some product off and the, the postcard and the brochure or whatever you've done to market your product and you sell and you do it one at a time because the value of that, the lifetime value of a chef is amazing because they, again, they buy product every week, they stick with you. And if early on we weren't getting something exactly right, I'll give you an example, getting half and half homogenized perfectly. So when that half and half hits coffee, it blends perfectly. And if it wasn't doing that because of our pressure on the homogenization process wasn't quite exactly right, they'll just tell us. They won't go on Facebook and pound us or on Instagram and let us have it. They they really became friends and, and business partners and wanted you to succeed. So we perfected our products through those relationships. And uh, again, we're, we're at about 100 customers right now. That's uh, growing. And I consider it a good week if we picked up one new account, which uh, we've already been able to do that this week. And that's kind of a goal of mine personally is just to pick up one new coffee shop or one new restaurant, uh, et cetera. If we can do that once a week, we'll be, we'll be okay. That's an incredible growth plan. That's, I mean, huge in a year if it's one every week. The fun part is they're finding us now. So the word's out and we've got some brand awareness and it's all about brand awareness. And then when they're when they're aware, then you've got to help them understand what you're about. And that happens with a phone call. Then it happens with a farm visit. They try the product and uh, they make the decision on the premium price point uh, if they want to go there. Some do, some don't. And uh, you're off you're off to the races then with uh, a new opportunity. So do you see regular customers coming out to the farm for farm visits as well with, you know, the pop-up ice cream shops or the the coffee shop that's going in? Are you anticipating an influx of general public visiting the farm now? Yes, I'd say probably one of my biggest challenges is figuring out how to handle them. We all expect a great experience when we want to go on a tour. And within our own dairy industry, there's a couple of, of amazing examples with Fair Oaks and and uh, their, their amazing place in northern Indiana. And then the, the Discovery Center in uh, Manitowoc County is amazing. So how to do that at the level we know we need to to pay off on the customer expectation is a big challenge. But I get calls every day for tours. We have got to uh, gear up. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're a working farm. So how do you present the farm in a positive light when there's still things that happen. You, you got a cow that goes down or uh, you got a, you know, an ugly calving or whatever's going on. It's life on the dairy farm. So it's, we got to do both. Yeah. Well, I'm loving your updates on Lovely on Facebook after her DA surgery and all of her shenanigans. There's clearly some outreach taking place already digitally, but yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the challenge of 
working farm as well as a tourist place for customers. I mean, we're going to make Lovely a star, and she's just our gentle giant. She's uh, really big. She's a 93-point family pet, as every, everybody's got of them in your herds. But when consumers are evaluating at least dairy farms, I think we have to understand the premise for which they are evaluating a farm, uh, a dairy farm. And that's primarily going to be driven by their companion animal experience. Most of the time, that's a relationship with the family dog. So they are transferring that emotion and affection they've got for their own family dog and then turning that to uh, how they uh, evaluate uh, an industry or a particular farm in our case. So that's always in the back of my mind. And that's how that's why Lovely shows up with me on video the way she does, because people connect with the cow. They're really, really attuned to that emotion when you can show it. The registered business, uh, we're at that every day with those animals. So it's just something that we we can help out the industry uh, with little videos like that, having fun with our, our favorite animals. That's a really good analogy to use of their relationship to animals is through companion animals. And that's a really good reminder for all of us in production agriculture that that is how general public tends to view our relationship with our with animals or how it should be. So that's, that's a really good point. So you mentioned earlier that there's other folks that do what you're doing in terms of value-added products on the farm, and you are inspired by others. Who are some of those people that you're finding inspiration from, and, and what can you learn from others in this space? It's a it's a group that uh, has been they've certainly been at it a lot longer than I have, and they're much more experienced. They had the courage sooner in life. They they had a greater vision. Whatever they're ones people are familiar with, and everybody, no matter what part of if you're in the United States at least, and in maybe even in some of the provinces of Canada, there are places near you doing these things. And so the ones that affected me the most uh, came through the registered Holstein connections, and they're all really all corners of the U.S. And I visited about 12 different operations that were bottling uh, before we got started. And uh, I think of Sassy Cow, just uh, northeast of Madison and the Bear Wolf family. They, uh, they are professionals at this. And uh, it was an honor to have James Bear Wolf visit our place a few weeks back. And uh, I learned a lot from them. I went to California. There's two, uh, two big dairies in Central Valley milking a couple thousand cows each, but doing consumer marketing and doing it quite well. Ron Locke at uh, Top of the Morn Farms and then Noel Rosa at Rosa Brothers. Noel and his brother run a really impressive operation. So they're both in the Tulare, Vasalia area, putting milk in glass bottles. And uh, one, one farm kind of goes Central Valley and North and the other to the South, if I recall, but learned so much from them. So this is just on-farm visits and then taking the time to share with someone that thinks this might be an option for them. At the same time, the gold standard, I think, uh, is, you know, Arethusa does an amazing job. Uh, they do it at the highest level in my mind because it's Litchfield, Connecticut. It's just outside of Hartford. The per capita income and the expectations of that consumer out there is sky high. And uh, they get it done every day in the classiest fashion I've seen uh, of anyone doing it. So I follow them very closely and uh, like to learn a lot from them. Kelly Country Creamery in uh, the Green Bay area, Fond du Lac area. They just opened. It's uh, early March. And uh, they had a line way, way out the door uh, for their first day, no matter the weather. They do ice cream at Kelly Country Creamery. And they do it quite well. And they're able to maintain their small farm profile and add value to uh, to that milk that uh, we work so hard to produce every day. So places like that have all, have all helped me in some way, shape, or form determine what we needed to do or what might work for us. And uh, I, won't, I, I don't want to forget on a scale, 
there's, I mean, Milk Source and the Lamb uh, family and Oakfield Corners, Seamers, they're all doing both ends. They're doing the showing and they're doing the large scale commercial production at just first class levels. And I, I just consume as much information as I can about places like that. You had Ken McCarty on. McCarty's uh, were one of the first to to line up with a food brand and to deliver high quality product. They are amazing. So you can draw your inspiration from all shapes and sizes of operation and focus. And uh, that's kind of what I've done as we tried to craft what we felt like our best opportunity was here in Southern Illinois. So maybe this is already kind of that topic, but a lot of times when small farms want to stay small, they look at ways to diversify and it almost seems like a, a matter of fact that on-farm processing in some format will be discussed. What is some advice that you would give to people who are looking at taking that step or considering taking that step? It's going to be different for each one of our families or our business entities. It's going to differ on how many brothers or sisters you've got or husband and wife teams or how many generations want to make a go of it. It's got so many variables that you have to decide on. But I think it's, does the family, do you have the talent within the family unit that wants to take this on? If you want to build a plant, that's a, that's a undertaking in its own right. And you need a mechanical, very you know, science-oriented person that can kind of run a plant. And then do you have someone that can continue to take care of the cows and do your traditional work with your with your animals the way that you know you need to? And then you need a marketer. So do you have the talent? Do you have a team that uh, can take this on? I know I'm not by myself. I can't do it uh, alone. It's a lot of work. And then if you have a team that's interested, then you can find what their passions are and then maybe start getting a sense of uh, what might be an opportunity in your local area. Because local still, I mean, it's powerful. It's picking up steam. So what's a market opportunity? What is what doesn't exist in your area? What might you be able to make and do a really great job with that product set? And then what might you be able to extend to? And I say that the Sutton, uh, Sutton Rucks, the Rucks family down in uh, Okeechobee, Florida, are just getting started with uh, bottling their own milk in uh, southern Florida. They are going to kill it down there because there's nothing interesting going on in southern Florida from a branded standpoint. With all due respect to some good dairies, there's just no local brand down there right now. And the Rucks family are going to they're gonna have a lot of fun and success with, with that. And that's kind of the approach that looked like they took. They're into ice cream and now bottling milk. See, what's, uh, see what uh, might be the best opportunity for you and get some outside help. You need some connections to uh, uh, help you sometimes make those decisions. Were there organizations that you relied on in the early days and maybe even still today in figuring out if there was a market for your product, if you were going to go down this path? Were there outside sources that you were leaning on beyond farms? The short answer is no. Um, and not that they don't exist. I just, I found the best education coming from other producers. I learned so much from them. And uh, then you had to use your own market instincts on, uh, in our case, St. Louis. Uh, we'll, we'll draw about a hundred mile radius where our par- products are going to market. And there just wasn't a local brand in this area, on-farm brand. So we made a lot of those decisions ourselves. I relied on a lot of those phone calls and visits to other producers. Here's the challenge. Southern Illinois, we don't have the infrastructure, dairy processing and manufacturing that a Wisconsin, a Pennsylvania, a Minnesota, a New York has. So that's the big challenge. Do you have the infrastructure to be able to do this? If not, you've got to make it. Meaning, where are you going to get your equipment? Who's going to work on your equipment? What kind of labs are you going to use for all the regulatory that's required? So you have to put all that together. 
in dairy, if you want to get into this, you're going to need to build a plant if you're not in one of those areas like uh, you are in Wisconsin, where there will be people that will co-pack a product for you. We didn't have that opportunity. So I think it's I think it's a big decision of knowing whether you've got those resources uh, within a couple hours to uh, to utilize or you need to make them yourself. So what's the most surprising thing that you've learned over the last five years in this venture that you weren't prepared to learn or you just shocked that it's a part of it? I didn't uh, anticipate the support we get from these wholesale partners. Here's a great example. If you have a barista, they're, they're known for latte art and photographing and then posting on Instagram a photo of their latte they just made and they'll tag us, Rolling Lawns Farm. It's all about the authenticity. Oftentimes, you'll get a, a vegan that comes on and they'll throw a grenade in the thread and pick on the farmer, right? These customers of ours, of ours and so many of these food professionals will defend the dairy farmer. And they've come to our back. They've always had our back. And I didn't anticipate that it would be this strong. They were the target from day one because we wanted the relationship and they are the key influencers. But it's been beyond a, you know, anything I could have imagined to really just cements that in my mind that this is the we're on the right strategy. We just have to execute every day and be there for them. And then they'll be there for us. That's amazing to have that allied support outside of the direct farm. Any final thoughts on on this whole topic of on-farm processing and what you guys are doing down there in Southern Illinois? I think it's uh, took us a long time to get there. And uh, there's, but I, I, my advice is that there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. So as you try and assess it, just make sure you understand we need to, we need to be in a mindset if you're going to do on-farm stuff, that you're not part of the supply chain, you're part of the value chain. And I think that's where you have an opportunity to create and capture value. It's abundant out there. And I think about that as we go head to head with the plant-based beverages that want our market share. I think about it with the lab-generated product that's coming fast. That's where most of the venture capital money is going. And we can take them, though. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that when we rely on the purebred animal, in our case, the registered Holstein cow, that we have a story to tell that's more natural and uh, sustainable than any that any of our opponents could have. But step back and have somebody help you uh, see see the forest before the trees, as they say. And uh, you'll be amazed at the opportunities that are in front of you. Well, that is perfect. And what a great piece of advice to close this all up on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. It was great having you on. Uh, it was a, indeed an honor and congrats on the podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot already. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 